and welcome to episode 110 of the Dive Down. That's too many episodes, guys. Let's just call it. Last one right here. All right, last. This is the series finale of the Dive Down. It's Imagine not even a get- round number. How could you? One just paid our editor <laughs> in advance. Oh, yeah. If you ever wanted to know, we, we did just re-up six months so yeah you got us for at least at least four at least four more months of a magic the gathering podcast focused on the latest decks trends and strategies for the casual spike my name is stanislav here in chicago and with me on the line from denver colorado it's the one and only shane beeps stan i'm updating the episode title i had in mind on our live stream if you're not if you're not in our live stream when we record this on on mondays you should be because it's it's fun it's 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 a fun time. We get to have some fun interactions. You know, we have the back channel chat. Like when we're when someone else is talking for a while, you know, you jump in the chat, hang out. I, I like to but drop yeah, emojis. Yeah, uh, but if yeah, just I guess now that I'm thinking about it, if you want to if you want to get involved in the live stream, head on over to Twitch.tv/slash/TheDiveDown underscore Shane. And uh, yeah, it's sweet. That's where we are right now, and I'm updating episode title so better introduce our other our other host also with us the godfather dave harbarger hey what's up dave i had a real weekend yeah shoveling shoveling my furnace broke and i had to have my whole furnace replaced over the weekend while it was 12 degrees it's uh it's it's been a it's been a couple of days how is it now it's great it's like the best furnace it's like so efficient blowing the hottest air yeah this air is so hot and efficient <laughs> just like every is it deck i like to play well, I'm, I'm glad that you're. I'm glad that it's an it's a fresh week of work now, Dave. You can recover. I know exactly. Perfect. <laughs> I dove right back into PowerPoint with the gusto of a man who was well warmed and rested over an entire weekend of two feet of snow. Ooh. On this week's episode, we take our first look at the latest Kaldheim tech popping up in our favorite formats, especially historic. We crafted some cards, tried some decks, collected some tweets other players have shared. And put it all together in an initial list of movers and shakers from Magic's latest set. But before all that, we got a little housekeeping to share with you. Hello, and thank you to the newest patron to join the Dive Down Nation, Joel P. Welcome, Joel. Thanks, Joel. Also, we got a new review from one of my favorite punk bands in the 90s, The Lagwagon. Were you a Lagwagon person? I loved Lagwagon. Wow, all right. Were you a Lagwagon person? Not too much. Uh, I liked liked SST. A little more. I don't think Lagwagon was part of that. Am I wrong? Shane, you Lagwagon? Never heard of him. Well, I think the uh, person on iTunes has. I can only assume. And I see you. If you'd like to join the Patreon, you can find us over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can support the show directly. It, it pays for the merch that we send out to our patrons, the members of our Patreon. It, we use it to pay the editor. Uh, we use it to buy nice sounding equipment so that our podcast is crisp and clean for our many loyal listeners. Yeah, I like that you say that we've done that. I think we bought one thing for ourselves, technology wise. You know where it goes? It goes into maybe one day deck boxes and uh, donations to awesome charities. That's been the best thing I think about the last year. I didn't. I didn't I've never. I didn't want to like bring up exact numbers. I didn't want to brag about it because it's not even really our money. It's everyone's money out there, but we did some awesome stuff with uh, the Patreon money last year. I'm looking forward to doing more with it this year. It's been a, the generosity from the nation is incredible and thanks to everyone for it. And I hope that we have more citizens uh, every week. Yeah. Also, once you're in our Patreon and you get into the super secret Slack channel, we have tournaments not only firing every Friday now, 
but we also have like Tuesday tournaments. There's so much time and opportunity now to play against fellow dive downers in all sorts of formats, ranging from modern to historic to legacy. I played in a Pioneer FNM a week ago. Remember that format, guys? Remember Pioneer? Yeah, I was just I was just looking at lists. I was trying to see what's going on. Other ways you can support the podcast include Mana Traders. We talk about it every week. You know it. It's the best way to rent Magic the Gathering cards for Magic the Gathering online. And with the dynamics of a new format, you want to be renting. So if you're playing Magic Online, you probably thought about Mana Traders. If you want to get 15% off your first three months, head on over to manatraders.com. Use sign up code the dive down all one word and you can get that sweet sweet coupon and we also have an affiliate link we kind of made up ourselves it's untapped.thedivedown.com that's where you can download the magic arena tracking software um, lives in your system tray watches what you do on magic arena tracks things like your deck performance and your performance on the ladder and then play modes and whatnot it i've used it since before they even approached us about uh, uh, getting that affiliate thing going. But yeah, it's awesome. Check it out. We get a little bit of a kickback and it's totally free. You don't have to do anything. All you got to do is download it and and use it. Maybe. I don't know. Just delete it. Go for it. I would use it. I'd recommend it. With all that out of the way, Shane, don't go too far because you are sitting at the news desk this week. Well, so I'm coming back. Okay, okay, I'm here. I made it. I was going to leave for a while. <laughs> that felt like a Kermit the Frog kind of like running back <laughs> for a second there. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, we're going to talk We're going to talk modern again this week, huh? Yeah, let's just go for it. All right. I mean, modern, you know what's okay? Here, here's, here's the deal, everybody. Preach. I was hoping for some weirder stuff. I was hoping for more weird stuff to happen in the tournaments, and not that much did. And so... I thought what would be good here is to look at modern because we had two pretty good events. We had a big uh, modern super championship qualifier thing that had, I, I think, multiple hundreds of players. And then we also had a challenge on Sunday we'll be talking about. And the top eights are pretty normal. There's some there's some a few curveballs in there, but there's also a few cool decks from each of these events that took place. And really what it's going to do is just kind of seed our conversation in the dive down. And so we'll start with uh, the super, the challenge rather, and then head on into the super qualifier. And so let's just quickly go through this top eight. So we had first place, Big Dan, Big Dantique, on Jund Death's Shadow. I love that you can just show up with Jund Death's Shadow and win a tournament. Scourge, I guess, is just doing enough to keep this deck in the conversations. Yeah, I mean, I think the big difference here is that instead of um, going with just the straight Rakdos plan, of course, they decided Tarmogoyf was worth running. That's the big difference, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And then next up, another Shadow variant, HCook725 on Mardu Shadow. Mardu's been back a little bit recently, I think. It's playing white for primarily Tide Hollow Sculler and Lingering Souls. No. Yeah, it can't be from the past uh, and a few board cards, of course, like containment priest. I noticed and also wear tear in this list. Interesting that they're not splashing white for path to exile. Who needs it? Don't care. Don't need it. Exactly. Who, who needs it? Well, okay. So 
one reason that you might want to run Lingering Souls is what flying blockers against is it prowess perhaps mm-hmm. is it blitz also uh i know that other shadow decks don't really love small blocking decks typically depends on if you have your uh your team or battle rage handy or not right yeah it's always that's always a trump card right yeah so i also noticed jabberwocky uh, logan nettles a renowned magic online and irl player was also on Mardu shadow he finished 30th which is still totally fine in a field like this. Third place, completing the Shadow Triumvirate Ume Kawanekiu on Rakdos Shadow. Uh, we know this deck. Uh, we love this deck. Some of us do, I guess. And uh, you know what it is, too. Next up, BMJ. So what you're telling me is that the first three decks in this were all Shadow. And then the person who came in fourth place was Ben Jones on Uro Omnath, renowned Shadow player. <laughs> on Uro Omnath. <laughs> yeah, why not? It's just that fourth place. The world is upside down. Cats <laughs> are living together with dogs. Mass hysteria. Tell them about the Twinkie. Yeah, don't tell them. What about the Twinkie? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's uh, our fourth place is BMJ, Ben Jones on Aromnath. That's what I'm going to call it now just to irritate myself and others. <laughs> Fifth place, Ekaros on Rakdos Shadow, just like third place. Sixth place, Kathanakit, 26 on is it Blitz slash Prowess. Seventh place, MLGB, 92 on Humans. Haven't seen Humans in a minute, uh, finishing in you know some top finishes like this. Four main deck Skyclave. Who cares? It's not a human. Not me. Also a couple of main deck Collector Oof. Oof. You see that tech? I did not actually notice that one. Also, cool. Also, they only have 11 cards in their sideboard. So maybe this is either a reporting error or yeah. they did some pre-sideboarding. Yeah, that might be reporting errors or something like that. I mean, what I noticed do in the sideboard is it has four blood moons. And I'm just I just never know how humans can run cards like this. Maybe it's just like they play it late. Well, it's, so it's Magus, you, right? So they yeah. well, sometimes, it it's, sometimes it's Magus and sometimes it's literally blood moon. Mm. And maybe it's just like, okay, I can play this after I'm set up. So that Field of the Dead is just turned off because I'm never going to beat a Field of the Dead. Maybe. I don't know. Can I mention something else about this list? Please. Uh, Weird. (laughs) It's very weird. Uh, Maybe it's something wrong with Goldfish, but it says there's 41 creatures in the deck with 19 lands and four artifacts, which comes out to 64 cards, I believe, with an 11 card sideboard. There's 11 in the board and four in the main. So I think what we're thinking is that it probably has the oofs or sideboard and and uh, maybe who knows what else? Yeah, I think maybe a, two of those skyclaves are sideboard, probably some kind of mistake there. Although many props to this person if they ran a sixty-four card deck, good for them. Well, no, I just, I just want it. I just want more cards. Yeah, I just want them. More is better. What if mill? What if I faced on mill? Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, uh, these days you very well might. Yeah, eighth place, Gernardi on blue Tron. You know what these decks look like? Most of them. Not a lot of new cards, if any. I think I would have pointed them out. I don't think there's any new cards in this top eight from Kaldheim. Thoughts on this top eight? I thought it seemed kind of normal besides a lot of shadow. However, the ninth place deck, which we're not we're not going to talk about until later, had one very important new card in it, and they call that a tease. <laughs> okay, so it was also that super champ qualifier thing this weekend. I never know what these are actually called. I feel like goldfish calls them different things than wizards does and wizards reports them as different things and they're actually called on magic online so 
I, I heard to the great fun that there was like 400 players in this. I could have been lied to. I'm looking at you, Turtle Power, uh, in the chat. And we'll talk about the top eight here as well. Shadows 2005. I refuse to believe that this person was born in 2005 on Aramnath. Uh, Taruto 1212 in their time machine grabbed Aramnath as well. Third place, Pedro Grush, Pedro Gush on Orzov Hammer. Fourth place, SMDster Sam Party on uh, White Heliod Splashing Red. MZ Blazer on Rakdo Shadow in fifth. Sixth place, Nakashima. It's in all caps. You have to shout it on Oops All Spells. Uh, this is the one with Vengevine and Salvage Titan and Narcomoeba and whatnot. It was a single Char Belcher in the main as well, but I think that they're trying to win in other ways. Seventh place, Omegao on Aramnath. That's a third Aramnath, if you're counting out there with me. Eighth place, Namor Squats on humans again. So we had uh, two humans in our two different top eights here. Not a lot of Kaldheim in this as well. Yeah, and in fact, I took a look at the entire top 32 of this, and the only card from Kaldheim in the top 32 of this event was a two of Egon God of Death in 31st place in uh, red black mid deck wild so not a lot of crazy action happening in the top eights like i mentioned and you know heading on into a very brief cool decks inc i think dave mentioned the ninth place deck from the sunday's challenge ryan 100495 a visitor from the distant future on the, the tybalt's trickery combo we're gonna be what talking combo? about this uh nothing okay <laughs> talk about that later uh, little tease. I tricked you. Yeah. Uh, 17th place, TSP Gendrick. I know I've heard yes. this name yes. before. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, certainly yeah. have. Yes. Uh, they are on Demir Control, which is basically Thing in the Ice and a ton of spells in random numbers from one to four. Singleton on Earth? Why not? To Deprive? Sure. Uh, TSP Gendrick is also running three Behold the Multiverse here which is the behold the behold spell that scries to draws to like I told you all it would be somewhere definitely did not think this would be the first foretell card that I would see in a <laughs> modern challenge top 32 top 17 Dave that's yeah, what they look sure. for uh, well and even more importantly at the hands of a in the hands of a really really good player um what an interesting deck Luris. Yeah. And ball and bauble package. You get your thing in the ice back with Luris. Got that on Earth to get back your Luris or your thing in the ice. Uh, other than that, it kind of looks a little bit like Blue Moon in a weird way, but just with you know, if you squint, you could kind of see that, but with black instead of red, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a control player's kind of dream, right? Just like I know exactly how many reman or like you know mana leaks and exactly how many uh, behold the multiverse and whatnots that I want. So. More power to them. If you like that kind of deck, you could do worse than following TSP Gendrick's lead. And then from the super qualifier, I saw a 30th place Josito Shekel on a Naya Landfall aggro deck. I just wanted to shout out this deck for going back to the kind of Landfall Zoo beats well. A Coem Hellhound, Step Links, Wayward Guide Beast, Brushfire Elemental, all kind of stuff like that. You know, Wild in the Cattle got you know taken out of their trade binder uh atarka's command reckless bushwhacker of course that kind of stuff's in there why not why not play zoo i mean this this person got seven wins 
with this deck. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it's like sometimes you just play eight wax. Sometimes you just play Naya Zoo. This car, I mean, this this deck is kind of eight whack though, right? Like yeah. realistically, that's that's the the engine that it's built around. It's got your burning tree emissary and your bush guides, whatever they're called, and um, kind of go from there. But that that's very cool to see. And then Atarkis Command, yeah. miss that card. Always, I wish that card was a good place. Enough. Yeah, always does something in decks like this. Yeah, that's really. All the kind of weird decks I noticed, um, we didn't see a lot of weird cards in these events, but you guys see anything in these that I missed? Shane, you did everything. You scoured the depths of these lists. But that's what I what I think is cool, is we heard a lot, we saw a lot, we experimented with stuff that uh, we saw on, on Twitter, and we talked a lot about different decks that people were seeing and different tech that people were seeing in the Slack. And that's what this week is all about in the dive down is I think that this is maybe the calm before the storm. I thought we, we started to see some, some sideboard choices that were weird. We started seeing some main deck choices that were weird. And a few of these decks are starting to creep up. I'm curious what will happen in the near future. And you will hear about it on the breakdown on the dive down On the dive down. Well, no, this is the breakdown oh. section of the dive down. Right. Oh, I see. You're saying you will hear about it next week on the breakdown when these things happen, but in the yes, dive down is where yes, we speculate. See. Yeah, yeah, you know. This I'm just I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to continue the branding of our segments, Dave. Mm-hmm. We might have to have a rebrand. All right. What segment is this again? <laughs> <laughs> this is the transition segment where you take us into the dive down stand. Oh, okay. In that case, stay with us. And we're back this week on the dive down like Shane. So uh, David Foster Wallace introduced in the last convolutedly explained. I think there were footnotes on that (laughs) and everything. Um, We're going to take a spin through some of our early impressions of the impact that Kaldheim has made on our favorite formats, modern historic, and even our annoying little brother pioneer. Um, So without further ado, let's dive in. We're going to go card by card for this. You know, we often would go through kind of like decks that we played and things like that. But I think that there's enough kind of cards that have made impressions that uh, we're just going to do it that way. Kind of like a post spoiler spoiler app in some ways. Yeah, yeah I thought you're know, not exactly look at it as like over and underrated type stuff, but just kind of like, let's let's check what's actually happening. What's making an impact. And maybe we can talk about what we're surprised that we're not seeing too much uh, later on in the episode. Mm hmm. The early movers and shakers, if you will. Yeah. Title. Innovation thawing, Kaldheim. So I'm glad that we're starting with this particular two mana red instant, because this seems like the headline card currently, the one that people are already groaning about and is seeing basically a new deck built around it that players and brewers anticipated as soon as it was spoiled. And that's Tybalt's Trickery. That's right. Got to start with the big one. You know, we talked with Aspiring Spike about this a couple of weeks ago. He quickly shot down our dreams of this being a card you could play fairly out of your red deck as some kind of weird counter spell. That's not going to happen. He said, we knew it all along. But um, we did spend a little bit of time talking about the combo piece and a few people have already figured it out. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be surprised at this point, right? Like, yet somehow I am. I think it's just that when we looked at this, I didn't really see or no one was telling me immediately about like oh like the cascade concepts here i was sort of just like well 
oh, you can't stack your deck, so how are you going to combo off with this? And it was like, oh, it's much more easy than I anticipated. The other way, you stack your whole deck. All right, so we'll talk really quickly about the mechanics of this, all right, just in case people haven't gotten it. So basically, using the power of Cascade, as as Shane said, to then also Cascade a second time, this deck has iterated beyond the original theoretical version that Frank Karsten wrote about a couple weeks ago on Channel Fireball, and also... Maybe most surprisingly, something like this has also turned up in historic and standard as well. But we'll get to those in a little bit. So let's start with modern. Here's how the deck works in case people don't don't remember. The idea is that you cast a three CMC cascade spell. The most notable one is Violent Outburst. You have Tybalt's Trickery be the only target for that cascade in the deck. So everything in your deck is above 3CMC or above, except for Tibble's Trickery. So you cast one of those cards, you cascade to Trickery. Then once you hit the Trickery, the Trickery goes onto the stack, but the 3CMC spell is still on the stack. Mm -hmm. So then you use the Trickery to counter your Violent Outburst or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then Trickery mills into something great and broken and interesting and fun, and everybody rejoices. Yeah, so uh, things to remember about cascade that i had sort of forgotten about um one is the first thing that dave sort of mentioned which is cascade gets something of lower value lower cmc value than the spell so that's important so that's why it has to be three at least for your cascade spell i'm not sure if there are two cmc cascade spells are there uh don't don't quiz me bro yeah but also then the next thing is after you hit a cascade after you cascade into a spell you put all the cards that you had exiled back into your deck, right? So even if you milled over all of your payouts, payoffs, and then Tybalt's Trickery was the very last spell you milled over, you would not deck yourself. You would still have a something to hit off of the, the future Tybalt's Trickery uh, trigger. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's that's the basic version, right? You get Emrakul, and that's what it is. That's the Frank Carson version where he basically had lands trickery violent outburst and emrakul and that was in his deck but that's the old school version at this point yeah exactly the the theoretic i i think of that as the prototype right and then what's happened is that it's been iterated on by several people already including uh doomwake has been playing it canister has been playing it um i think there's a couple of other notable players that have been playing it as well and basically what they've done more is that they have added Simeon Spirit Guide and Chancellor of the Tangle for mana acceleration, you know, the pitch cards that give you an extra mana. They've added Ardent Plea, which is another 3CMC Cascade card. And literally all that Ardent Plea does, it says Exalted and Cascade and it costs 3CMC. That's It's an enchantment. Right. It's just um, your extra copy of Valentar Burst. Exactly. And then they've added additional payoffs like the other El- Eldrazi Titans, Omniscience, and even Brilliant Ultimatum from shards of alara which is a card that i definitely thought was from ikoria when i looked at it because i was like i don't remember this card and then i took a closer look and i was like oh it's from the original ultimatum cycle and what this one does is it lets you exile it's w it's a white white blue 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 black black and it lets you exile the top five cards of your library an opponent separates them into two piles you may play lands and cast spells from one of those piles if you cast a spell this way you cast it without paying its mana cost so this spell looks like RNG, right? You mm-hmm. could potentially whiff if you trickery into ultimatum. Yes. And that's why you have extra payoffs in your deck so that you have a better chance of getting Kozilek and Ulamog and Emrakul 
or omniscience or whatever. So Canister was the first person I saw tweet about the newer version in the deck, but not the last. As we said, people have been all over it. All of our friends in our Slack and the nation have been uh, really unhappy to be seeing this deck with the frequency that they have been because I think it's gotten really popular in the modern queues this weekend. Yeah. So even if they're not playing like streamers that people are watching or are facing it and it's kind of generally frustrating a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. And then even Sodak played a version of this deck where they he just had the base level combo in main for game one and then a sideboard that just let the deck become primeval titan basically so it had a bunch of lands huh. and then you would sidebar the combo out and bring in 15 cards that turned it into dryad titan in game two if you wanted to that sounds really good <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure these are all good and not just tricky but I mean, it's working. Apparently, you know, we saw it in ninth place and the challenge that Shane was talking about earlier. People are trying it out. They're iterating on it. It's definitely one of those things where it's like, why did you give us another way to get a free spell? Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why? I mean, I, I've watched streamers face it down and like opponents are winning on turn one with, you know, the gemstone caverns and Stimian spirit guide or the chancellor of the tangle type stuff. And it's just like, why? Why? Like, do we need another version of this? Yeah. And then the weirdest part is that it found its way into historic and standard. And the way that that happened is through using zero mana spells instead of cascade spells. So what you do is you try to get zero mana spell plus trickery in your hand. You wait till turn two. You drop your ornithopter or your stone stone coil serpent or your Tormod crypt even. You cast that for zero, counter it, and then mill down to something incredible. Why not? So... What do we think about this? Is it cool? Annoying? Going to stay around? I haven't run into it yet. So most of what I've seen has just been from watching people on stream. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, my opinion on this, like I hate stuff like this. Yeah. Like, and there's two reasons. Like it's, I think it's just silly magic. Like magic already has innumerable combo decks that do things like this. And so why do we need like another variant on it, especially in something that, can be even seen in standard, right? And and then two, the other reason is that it's just it's totally obvious stuff that people are figuring out day one. It's not like it's some obscure interaction that Watsi could have overlooked. It's like it's simply in there, I think, to generate interest and to let people go crazy for a while. And either people figure out how to hate it out, or it'll like get banned. And either thing is kind of stupid to me. Like there's there's other ways to generate interest in your format. And I don't think one of them has to be like, Oh, they broke modern again <laughs> or broke or broke historic or messed up standard. It's all of magic. They, they broke magic again. I don't think it's that bad. You know what I think when conspicuous Snoop got printed week one, modern challenge it, goblins came in first place and then people realized how beatable that deck was and the metagame adjusted to it and also realized how fragile that deck was. And right now what we're seeing is like a lot of interest over some new tech that enabled something very different that people couldn't exactly do in the past. Like we didn't really have a, like that good of a cascade deck before. Like, do you think this is like a, uh, Neo form? Yeah. Or Neo form. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think decks that can reasonably win on turn one should really be around. But that's not Tibble's fault. <laughs> He played the trick. He pays the price. Um, I would say here, here's how I think about this a little bit of things that annoy me with how broken there are. This is somewhere in between um, conspicuous Snoop and 
uh, oops, all spells. So for me, Snoop was an obvious combo piece, but it led to a good deck that I actually think is pretty hard to play. And it's a decent deck. It's kind of Splinter Twin-ish, and that's kind of okay. On the other hand, all the double-face land cards from Zendikar enabled that abomination that is the Oops All Spells Balustrade Spy deck or the Charbelcher deck. I feel like that is a bad card design overall that's going to yeah. be reckoned with some, at some point in the future. I don't know how. But... Trickery is definitely like in between those two things for me. And so, yeah, it does fall a little bit into the Neoform camp, but I actually think it's a little scarier than Neoform to me right now. But I guess only time will tell. It's certainly really popular right now, and you should be ready to play against it. I, I think what's interesting about it is that it's vulnerable to all the same stuff that Neoform is vulnerable to, which is counter magic, hand disruption, and bad RNG. Yeah, I think that. This deck, I think, is I don't know the average turn. I don't think anyone knows the average like turn to win on, but I think it can be pretty darn fast with the broken mana potential that exists in modern. And I, I think that argument is a little bit disingenuous, which is like, oh yeah, just play interaction, just play hand disruption, like counter spells, and these decks fold. But everyone always says that about these kind of strategies, and I think that it means like, well, like what I have to play a deck that can play those cards or have those access to those kind of cards but there are other ways of course to fight against these strategies right like deafening silence is a single mana white card it works for decks that uh can run white and it stops this uh really quickly um damping spheres two mana artifact uh thalia ether sworn canonist can stop uh or at least hinder this type of strategy as well chancellor of the annex yeah, that's that's something wild. I'm I, I've started seeing, uh, I, but I no chance of the annex is they're playing is the one it as tech. Tibble decks are running it. Yeah, so like if you don't know what chance of the annex is, it's like anti early counterspell, anti early hate. Like if you reveal Chancellor of the Annex from your hand, the first spell the opponent casts that game is countered unless they pay one. So it's just like, hey, even if you have that deafening silence, um, you have to play it at least on turn two. You're going to give me at least one more look at the win. Um, I mean, I, I am noticing people already bringing that to the challenge decks. Like I saw some sideboards had normal stuff and some sideboards were like, hey, I've got three or four deafening, deafening silence. I've got three or four Ethersworn canonists, cards that I haven't seen ever be run or be run in a long time. And I think that we're going to see more people run cards like this soon. And maybe you're right, Sam, where it's just like, hey, uh, it's just yet another deck that if you're not prepared for it, it'll run you over. But like, do we need more of those things? You know what I mean? Like, hey, like you you don't have your back in the day, like, you know, you don't have your Stony Silence. You don't have your Graft Digger's Cage. You don't have your Leyline of the Void. You don't have your Deafening Silence. Like, so the sideboards are already stretched really thin in modern. That's an argument that people have made about modern for years is like, hey, the sideboard's really tough. Why make it? I mean, it's just like this just put, puts more pressure on that in ways that are potentially unhealthy. So I, I'm not disagreeing with you that this is potentially unhealthy. Like maybe time will prove you to be correct. I just think after week one, it's okay because it encourages players to be more interactive, which is, I think, a style of play that people prefer. Like I think people like interactive games more than drag races. And this is encouraging people to play interactive decks to really stop the drag race deck in a very effective way in, in a way that like you know jund might not be able to punish prowess the way this jund can punish this yeah 
I think it's totally fair. I and I guarantee we will find out very soon if this is legit yeah. or not. Because I don't think it's going to take long f- to uh, figure it out. Like it's only going to take another couple of weeks for people to see if it's if it gains some popularity, if people really continue to win with it or not. And let's give control players a good matchup. What's wrong with that? Do you think it's a good matchup? I mean, if you have four force of negation, it's probably a pretty good matchup. There's a lot of things that can be hit. I mean, I think we saw Aspiring Spike go up against something and like they 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 cascaded into something bonkers that like it was, I, forget, I forget the exact sequence, but like he had a number of counter spells in hand and still didn't have enough to overcome what they could have been doing. It was just uh, there's a lot of line. There's a lot of options in this. Weirdly for a deck with so few cards. So the, the thing that bothers me the most about this, I guess, is that we do see these cards pop up a lot of times that break modern. And, you know, we play modern, and it is what it is. Uh, It's always surprising to me when a card like this pops up, and it's also able to make a deck that functions in standard. And that is feels like, whoa, we may have really overshot if it makes a viable shell in so many different formats. You know, modern is a weird beast in that there are a lot of cards that get printed that are able to turn into sort of degenerate combos in modern because the, uh, the format's so big. But when you get into a big standard like we're in right now, that's a lot more surprising to me and actually makes me worried about that this card might just be super powerful, uh, regardless of where it's placed. All right, well, let's uh let's head on to another card. Yeah, let's talk about a super fair card. Yeah, this card this card's sweet. Uh Vorniclex. Vorniclex? Monstrous Raider. Four green green. Legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. I guess I didn't know that uh, Vorniclex was in the game before. Kaldheim. I don't, I'm not steeped in the lore. You were not around for uh, Scars of Mirrodin. No, I was not. And he's I don't, he. I don't know. Like uh, it has never seen play uh, in formats I've played really, so I'm not really familiar with it. But it has Trample and Haste. Important. Here's the important stuff. I mean, six sixes with Trample Haste for six. Not even really playable uh, in today's modern. But if you would put one or more counters on a permanent or a player, put twice that many of each kind. On that permanent or player instead. Also, if an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, they put half that many of each of those kinds of counters on that permanent or player instead, rounded down. So I am not going to lie. I don't remember talking about this card on the show at all. <laughs> Did we talk <laughs> yeah. about this card? I don't. I think, think we. I think so. we were like, hey, it's a it's a doubling season type effect. Like you might see might do something. I feel like this is one of those things where you know this card was leaked. And everybody thought it was fake. Mm-hmm. And then it was Christmas. And then there were more spoilers. And I, I almost wonder if we just didn't bring it up ever. If anyone did, it would have been Shane. Yeah. I definitely think that this is the type of card, though, and I've done it once again, that I just looked at a big green card and was like, nah. <laughs> eh, right. This isn't for me. I'm not even going to pay attention to any of the stuff that's on here or really think about it all that much or, or really anything. Because it does have some strikes. It's six mana. That's a lot for any format, yeah, six, really. I mean, six mana is just a lot. Like, it reads like an EDH card, right? Yeah, well, it's bigger than Elder Gargadon. It's bigger than Questing Beast, like, mana cost-wise. And so that made me tune out a little bit when I saw it. Look, here's here's our exact text from the episode notes. Vorinclex Monstrous Raider. Maybe? <laughs> <laughs> the end. We are good. We nailed yeah, it. we're expert. Because I do think this is still a bit of a maybe, right? Or I think it's more now. Well, it's more It's more in standard. It's more in uh, historic. It's potentially more in, in pioneer. Like, I, Foreign Clex has had 
a lot of growth of conversation around it, especially in arena formats. Uh, people have been sliding it into like these various screen-based ramp decks, maybe some other places too, maybe some big fair decks, but I've been seeing it mostly in kind of the green ramp, green planeswalker style decks. I've been playing it myself in those as well. I've been running like this uh, Vorinclex green walkers deck in historic. I think it's pretty darn good. Like I first saw the list retweeted by fire shoes on Twitter. If you don't follow fire shoes, you should, um, they, 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 they follow everything. People, people at them to get their decks retweeted. They keep their eyes on all the tournaments on what people are doing, um, in the Twitter verse. So if you want the latest decks and tech, uh, follow fire shoes, the player that tweeted the deck was Andrea Del Moro at Delmo two, two, two. And basically they stated, uh, cast Warren Clex win the game. Huh. Uh, the, their list had two Vorn clecks and I've wanted to see it more often. So I went up to three. I, I shaved the single Wolf Willow Haven that they're running. And this deck looks a lot like previous green Walker decks of historic. If you're familiar with those at all, but what it cuts out is like the interaction potential and threats of voracious Hydra, a Vivian Arcbow Ranger, and instead inserts uh, some Vorinclex, the Ugin, the Spirit Dragon, and a Singleton Ugin, the Ineffable. And so the game plan is kind of what you would think, which is like ramp with dorks, ramp with Leyland of Abundance, get to another sort of ramp stage with your Nyssa, and then gain mega value with Vorinclex in the late game. So either you're casting walkers after Vorinclex or you're plussing with Vorinclex on the board. Um, and you can get your tech pieces to buy you time or invalidate other strategies with your car and the great creator, as always, stuff like that. So what Vorinclex does is once you have Vorinclex and a walker out, if you plus the walker, it gets extra loyalty counters. And if you minus it, it get it loses fewer loyalty counters. Yeah. Also, importantly, uh, when you play them, they have twice as many counters. Right. And when your opponent plays theirs, they have half their counters. Which does amazing stuff. Like I'm, I was facing like a mirror like deck out uh, on the ladder. Uh, opponent plays Ugin, and then scoops because they realized they couldn't really do what they wanted to do with the Ugin. They couldn't really clear as many permanents as they were hoping, and I just had too many options on the battlefield with my my Ugin and my other Ugin. Um, I've I've heard f- stories from our friends in the Slack about people playing sagas into it. I think probably like in standard, uh, they're like shame scooping things like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess he doesn't actually impact loyalty counters if you take down, but does make sagas not work, and also does make your sagas do double right if you happen to play yeah, a saga. It's such a weird thing. Like it doesn't skip steps. It like it makes it just better. Just sort of like works faster. It's weird. It's it's, it's so odd. So yeah, Vorinclex is really cool. Uh, I think it has a, a place in historic and potentially pioneer when people try to test that even more. Like these pioneer mono green decks I, I've been seeing. I looked through the lists in, in the weekend and I haven't seen too many of them. I've seen a few copies and a few lists. We'll see how that pans out. The biggest challenge though is to insert more payoffs like this and to insert Vorinclex is like you lose your early interaction. So it makes you more linear, which is like kind of a feature of a lot of historic ramp decks which is like i need to get to my payoff and i'm not doing things like playing my voracious hydra i'm not playing my vivian arco ranger i'm racing you 
two like stages of ramp. I'm playing my turn three Nissa. I'm pl- paying, you know, playing uh, hopefully early uh, Ugin and wiping your board or beginning to tick up and take over the game. So uh, I think it's really good. Like uh, it's like Dave said, it's it's fair ish. Even if you get to it somewhat early, it still does cost six mana. But that can be as early as you know turn four, turn three, maybe if you're incredibly lucky. Maybe not. Maybe I don't know. We don't have Chancellor of the Tangle in this format. What do you have? You guys seen Vorinclex on the on the ladder at all? Have you been facing it down or seeing decks that I haven't mentioned with it? I have not yet. Not yet. Yeah. I really want it to be Vorniclex. Like I really thought it was Vorniclex, but it's Vorinclex, which is much challenging, more challenging to say. Weirdly, all of the magic I played this weekend, I kept just playing against decks that didn't have new cards in them. I was like, what's going yeah. on here? I have new I mean, cards. Where are your new cards? That's also not so weird, right? Like, I mean, we'll we'll see what what happens. And there's there's a another card I wanted to test out in Green Devotion style decks, and that did get a lot of early, early buzz. wasn't I wasn't so sure, but yet it was search, the first thing you played. Yes, it was a very first. Well, here I wanted to put my wild cards where my mouth was. Right, I wanted to say, hey, look, I opened two of these. I opened two of these in my in my you know quote unquote box, and. Uh, I was like, let's, let's just test this. Like I, I've been, I've played green ramp and green walkers type type strategies and, and historic let's, let's slot it in search of greatness, see how it actually feels, how it plays out. Um, and so I took, uh, old historic mono green walkers deck worked with uh, mono green walkers, buddy, uh, Mickey S in the slack. And we kind of, we sort of just inserted four of them into an old build. Like we manipulating the manip- the mana dork sort of balance and the wolf willow configuration. Also, we did put some Vorin in there. It seemed too good not to. And as a reminder, in search of greatness is a double green enchantment. It reads at the beginning of your upkeep, you may cast a permanent spell from your hand with CMC equal to one plus the highest CMC among other permanents you control without paying its mana cost if you don't scry one. So this is, of course, like an appealing-looking card, right? Like two pips of green mana if you're a Nykthos deck in Pioneer or Modern. Uh, Even outside of that, it looks like you're going to be cheating on your mana quite well, right? Like Historic gives you the option of running Leyline, Leyline of the Mana Dorks or whatever. Um, You could ostensibly have another way then to get a turn three Nyssa or like another five drop onto the battlefield for free. And in testing, however, uh, in search of greatness to me felt like I imagine it would, which is a very high variance card and not doing much for me when I needed to be reliably ramping with cards like paradise Druid or Lanamore visionary on turn two. Like there were so many instances where all I was getting out of this card was the scry and in a deck where you want to get to your late game draws more than like another Llanowar Elf or a Paradise Druid, it's like that's important to be scrying, but it's not worth playing an enchantment like this on turn two when I need to be playing more dorks typically or like a Wolf of Haven or something. Shane. Yes, friend. Could it be that you played it in the wrong format altogether and this is a modern card? Well, I have not, I have not yet seen it, but it might be. I mean, my, my green devotion is a thing. I was just going to ask you, Stan, I believe that I saw a modern list that was doing a similar, a similar thing to this. And I was like, was that some kind of fever dream or 
Oh, no, it was the 25th place deck in Saturday's Modern Challenge was Mono Green Devotion running four in Search of Greatness. Yeah. And this is like Shane's deck. It's got four Karn, four Nizza Who Shakes the World, some Gargaroth, a bunch of Mana Dork. That sounds great. I should be playing that. You should. What do you think makes it better in Modern, potentially, than it is in one of these earlier formats, Dan? Do you have any takes on that? Oath of Nyssa, Leyline of yes. Abundance, Noble Hierarch. Yeah. And Nykthos. Well, and Nykthos, yeah. I guess yeah. I guess you didn't put it into a Pioneer deck. Yeah, but all, yeah, all of those cards are available in Pioneer, though. Noble Hierarch? Uh, well, no, but Noble Hierarch, I mean, are they playing 12 mana dorks? The Oath is. Oath is in Pioneer. Right. It's it got back, unbanned. baby. Yeah. What, what about Leyline of Abundance? That's in Historic. No, that's the one that even. got banned. Yeah. yeah. Leyline of Abundance is a weird one that got banned early because of Todd Anderson and his shenanigans. Oh, that's right. So yeah. I guess what Modern has is all of the dorks plus Leyline plus like the best cards from Pioneer and Historic. Mm-hmm. Okay. And better everything. Better Planeswalkers, you know. It, like it, it, well, it used to it's run not things playing like, better Planeswalkers. Yeah, it used to, used to run thing, it used to run things like um like Big Garrick, I think, and stuff like that. So but I mean I don't I don't discount that, Stan. I don't think this card is like a write-off, but I do think that it needs to have other cards around it besides just itself. Like, you know, I I lived the dream of like the early Nissa once. Like I was like, okay, I got the ley line down on turn zero. I had the mana dork on you know one, and then like you know then on on turn three I get something else down or like you know what I mean it's just like a, you have enough mana blah 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 right because you have to have um you have to have this down on turn two so the earliest you're still getting this is turn three either through either through mana dork shenanigans or through the in search of greatness shenanigans but it's not like there's other other ways I can't do it and like the combo of leyline plus in search of greatness plus nissa isn't like something you're going to line up a lot and even if you do these formats are running thoughtsies right you know all of the thoughtsies is there it's going to take out your nissa a lot of times and you're not going to feel happy about it but like you said even in pioneer i looked to see if pilots were using this card in their builds of mono green walkers where this is a legitimate top tier deck unlike in historic where it's more of a curiosity i think still i don't see it there either like maybe this card isn't just providing what these decks actually need, or maybe people just aren't trying to fit this in yet, but I don't see it there too much. All right. So, but I mean, like I said, don't write it off. I, I think I'm going to go and build this deck in historic though. I have most of it. I think the only thing I don't have in this deck is Leyline of abundance, which seems like a card that definitely I should just have around. Well, which, which deck are you talking about? Like the one, the, the sweet Vorinclex one or like, Ooh, both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that both of these green decks are good and I don't have, have a green deck in historic right now. Um, I think that I see Vorinclex is great. value on your dailies. Yeah. Well, and also I have a lot of these cards just like hanging around because uh, the first deck that I built on arena was, um, mono green walkers like i built the cheaper version with mindstone and stuff like that yeah but and i think i think there's something to be said to fewer walker shenanigans and more ramp like i mean there's nothing wrong with doing a lot with your mana elder gargaroth boring clex uh nissa who shakes the world ugin all these cards are great <laughs> if 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 they're if if that's kind of your payoff and you're like hey i don't need the interaction or i'm going to see what i can do without uh creatures like hydra and like without without trying to do vivian shenanigans with creature tutoring and stuff like that you know why not try it all right guys i uh i feel inspired all this card talk i i'm eager to share with you something that i played which i think was also a pretty popular pick this weekend 
You want to guess what it is? An elf. That yeah, the the black green elf thing. Not quite. It was it was actually Tyvar Kell. Not not exactly. No, it was uh, actually Valky, God of Lies. Ooh, were you trying to? Were you were you were you having some 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 cheaty some cheaty stuff? Well, you can't uh, play any cascade spells in um, Pioneer Historic. So, oh, this was not in modern. No, no, this was this was in historic. I have a little story to tell. As so many of my deck write-ups are prefaced with a little personal anecdote, a little background on Stan for the listeners. For a long time, I have been very interested and impressed by the Rakdos Arcanist deck in Historic. It, yeah, it's sweet and hard. It's it's both of those things. Anyone who might not be familiar, it's very similar to a Pioneer deck that we've mentioned in the past, kind of in passing, but it's somewhere between mid-range and tempo with a lot of hand disruption, removal, got play sets of Dreadhorde Arcanist, Young Pyromancers, and then three to four Kroxa. Though, to be honest, my favorite part about this deck is using Claim the Firstborn to steal an opponent's creature and then using Village Rights to sack that creature and draw cards off of it. And though I'm not going to talk about this deck in too much detail, Arcanist per se, I did want to point out this synergy for something that I'm going to talk about a little later. But the reason I bring up this deck in general is because on Saturday morning, bonafide good magic player Andrew Jessup posted a version of Historic Arcanist running four copies of, or three copies of Valky, God of Lies. And Jessup also wrote that the deck and this card is the truth, posted a screenshot of a very impressive win rate next to a mythic ranking in Historic. And basically this tweet was the perfect storm for Stan because I wanted to play this deck. And also there's this new card that I can maybe talk about on the pod. So I pulled the trigger and I cashed in some wild cards and I built Arcanist to test out Valky and in the end also Tybalt. So far so good? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting that you... Um, so there's a couple different ways to play Tybalt, right? Valky, like Shane... Uh, mentioned there's Mm -hmm. kind of like the fair way, which is what I was doing. We're going to cast it. And then there's the cheaty way. So I think uh, let's let's, cascade or a bring to light. Exactly. And so let's talk a little bit about how it went playing lie lying fair, I guess. So, you know, we take Arcanist, but we put in a new card. Something's got to come out. And the card that Jessup removed was claim the firstborn. And that's the reason why I mentioned claim and village rights earlier, because Jessup's deck doesn't have that synergy. Um, he also used like a couple of flex slots to bring in duress and, and spike field hazard, but because the deck still has four village rights, one of the questions that I felt like this deck, this very fair mid range deck had to answer is whether or not village rights is even worth it in, in this type of plan. Cause you can still use it on pyromancer tokens or when you cast croaks on turn three or in response to removal spells, but I wasn't sure if there was a way to maximize it as part of the Valky plan specifically because Valky is a card that demands a certain plan. One of the, how so? Let me know. I will explain this. Stand by. Stand the man with the plan. One of the interesting things about Arcanist in general is that it has a lot of cards to play on turn 2. You have the namesake, you have Croxa, you have Pyromancer if you're brave, and now Valky of course is a two drop. So as a result, the question for me that came up very early is whether it's coming down on turn 2 or as soon as possible. Or if it's something like a Pyromancer card that you maybe want to save it for later where you can instantly get some kind of value off of it. And Valky is a card that does scale, right? You can play it on turn two, nab a creature out of opponent's hand, and then save mana on a later turn to activate it. Or maybe if you're on turn five, you can play Valky, nab a two or three drop, and then flip it that turn or transform it that turn. 
The card also impacts the late game because of the seven CMC Tybalt side. And in this regard, it gives the Arcanist deck this whole new level of late game inevitability that used to be primarily occupied by Kroxa as your kind of big mana sink after you've maintained the board for long enough or really just stayed alive for long enough. And I found in this regard, especially Tybalt, very nice. It basically felt like game over if you were able to cast a Tybalt as early as turn seven, both in my testing with this deck and in the handful of instances where someone cast a Tybalt against me. There's just no coming back from it. It draws so many cards. Its plus is essentially a draw two. Also, if it comes down, you can minus to exile a creature. And then if it survives a turn, that next turn, if you plus it, you can cast either of the cards that you've exiled from either player's library, or you can also cast the creature that you exiled on the previous turn. So it's kind of like a draw three on turn eight in some cases. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like unless you're going up against someone like comboing off against you, like if you're against any remotely fair strategy, Tybalt takes over for sure. Just completely runs runs wild with the game. I'm ready yeah. to say it's the best Tybalt card ever printed. Seems pretty good. The life gain one isn't bad but this seems legitimately powerful. I, I will say I didn't quite realize the plus two until you pointed it out right now that it's each, it's also your library. Mm-hmm. So you get one of your cards and one of their cards to choose from, which is pretty cool. And then the other thing that's important about Tybalt as well is that uh, if it dies, you still have the emblem. And so you can still cast the card. So when you play it, you at least get that draw two off of it. Or the draw one if you play it to remove a threat because it'll exile any threat. And I think that's also quite important including a Vorinclex. Also, this card right now is 80 tickets on Magic Online. 80 tickets. Get in those Kaldheim draft queues, people. Oh my goodness. All right, so let's be real, though. More, more often than not, you're casting Valky. And I think we have to talk about whether or not Valky is worth it, because you can't just play a seven-mana Planeswalker and, and think that's going to be good enough. And I think everyone predicted this, but Valky is really easy to kill. Kind of a liability. He can't block. Any damage-based removal kills him. And since he's sometimes taken an opponent's best card, he, I think, becomes an immediate lightning rod because the opponent just gets that card right back. And one of the things that people frequently say about Valky is this best-case scenario that he can yank an opponent's Uro or Kroxa, and then you activate his ability, and the god sticks around without having to be sacrificed to its own ability. I kind of think when people talk about that, they overlook the fact that Uro and Kroxa decks run so much removal that whether it's Fatal Push or Heartless Act or Stomp or like Mayhem Devil or a Spike Field Hazard, this card just eats it. Whatever it is, it's it's too easy to kill. Mm-hmm. And I think Jessup kind of hinted with his decklist what you sort of do to manage the killability, which is he added a single duress in addition to four Thoughtseize. And I think when you have a hand that's like Valky and Hand Disruption, whether it's Thoughtseize or Duress, those Hand Disruption spells become much more about protecting your Valky than perhaps punching a hole in an opponent's hand or or slowing down their tempo. Because what you really want to do is if you're investing two mana to take a card out of the opponent's hand, you really want that Valky to survive for as long as possible. And one of the things that I've done since Saturday is tweak the deck to run more main deck Duress in addition to the four Thoughtseize to... A, keep them around longer, but also imitate like your modern Thoughtseize Inquisition of Kozilek packages. Since if nothing else, Duress can also be recast off of your Dreadhorde Arcanist as well. It triggers Pyromancer. Mm-hmm. And it's a very relevant card. Uh, it's 
that in almost no matchups I find in, in historic, even gruel, like it, it'll eat an Embercleave, it'll eat a cocoa sometimes. That's awesome. I mean, you're selling me on this a little bit. Am I? Did you enjoy it? Kinda. I, I enjoyed it as I put more duress into the deck because just copying and pasting Jessup's list with just one duress and some thoughtsies, I didn't feel like that was enough. You feel like it wasn't enough because people would just kill your Valky? Like you were like, yes. I mean, isn't that fine? Isn't that like you know that it's it's a cheap card, and you're there, you're going to be able to stick more pyromancers that way. You're going to be able to stick more. Um, what, uh, uh, Arcanist. Arcanist, another super important card. You don't want to get killed, but then it could be any other card. Like you're not just playing it to remove a removal spell. Well, it's a high value target. That's like that's like I mean, you're not it, it, you play scavenging news because it's awesome when it works, but also it's a very very juicy target for an opponent's you know fatal push, and then you get to stick your I don't know your Galia or your Bone Crusher Giant or something like that, right? So I mean, I think that having a higher threat density is rarely a bad thing if it doesn't mean you're pushing other things out of your deck right sure but i don't think valky's really a threat like well it's a threat in its own way and and does it does is the threat is it a threat in the deck package right and it sounds like it is yeah i mean i don't disagree like i think the card ultimately is is good enough because it has such a high ceiling especially from the tippled side but even on the valky side like if it goes unanswered it can become a really powerful creature and also just take a card out of opponent's hand and also gives you information about the opponent's hand as early as two two information's I, good it's also very relevant and there's also the tilt factor like <laughs> st- stealing stealing your opponent's cards like this was something that they did there was a similar mechanic in runeterra uh, many months ago with one of the, the early expansions and it was they actually named it to they named it nab eventually so it's funny that you said nab it um and like so you would take a card from their hand and you could do things like cost reduce it or you know, something like that or play it yourself. And so there was something that p- people just hated it. People <laughs> really hate people hate losing to their own cards. They hate having their uh, something taken out of their strategy uh, in that it was random, too. So there's even that where it's like, get a random card from them or get a random card. I think they changed it to the top of their deck. And so it's just like, who knows what it is? It came off the top of the deck. I don't even know what you got from me. Hmm. And so like. There's there's something about that in in this where it's like if you're beating someone down with their own Uro or their own Kroxa or something like that, then you're smiling all the way to the W. I I mean there are some cool things about it. Like if you do actually turn it into an Uro, it becomes a three CMC creature. It's no longer the two CMC Valky. So they have to do a little extra work to fatal push it. But if the goal of this card is just to eat removal spells, I think there's a better way to do that. Yeah, I mean that's, I wasn't claiming that that's what it was, but like I'm saying, like I don't. Maybe are you being too precious with, with it by trying to surround it by more like hand disruption to make it survive or something? Yeah, it's like just that. the first know. card you play every time. On turn two, you drop Valky, take a card and say, kill it. And then on turn three, you go, okay, now I'll play Pyromancer and then play, you know, whatever to go with it. Sure, sure. But I do think that actually playing, if we had Inquisition of Kozilek in Historic, this deck would run it. It would run it alongside Thoughtseize because I think at the end of the day, what this deck really wants to do is get opponent's hand to as few cards as possible Mm. and when they kill the valky they get their card back so like you've just traded one for one you're not really getting card advantage in that exchange so i see your point that it saves your other very important creatures from removal spells but 
I think when Valky can stick around, that's actually good for your plan. When it's being backed up by duresses and you're able to steal non-creature and creature spells from your opponent's hand in addition to your thought seizes, in addition to your Kroxa triggers, you're eventually getting to the point where you have much more carded cards than they do and your Kroxa has become a win con or something else becomes a win con because you just run away with the game. Yeah, I mean, the thing I always forget about Kroxa is like, if they stick it, like if it comes back, it's six extra damage really quickly and that that adds up really fast if they get you in a bad situation with it so yeah one thing i can't quite decide is whether or not it's worth bringing back with a claim to fame because that's kind of like that's the line of play that i think you guys are getting at it's like you steal a creature you make them kill it then on the next turn you can bring it back steal that creature all over again yeah maybe or or that's just when you hold back put down arcanist and say okay now kill this and then you use your claim on arcanist and then when you kick attack with Arcanist, you know, you get to get another card back. So, so what's your final thoughts on Valky Tybalt in historic in this deck? Final thought card is good. Like that much is, is obvious to me and will likely continue to see play. I'm just not sure if this is the deck for it though. Some kind of mid range or even controlling Grixis package might be it where you can play things like dive down or spell snare or something to help protect your creatures. Uh, or, or maybe even like uh, Mardu, where you can play the blessing card from Auras to like give it some kind of prote- additional protection out of white. Caramatris mm-hmm. blessing. Thank you. Yeah. I also got to say though, one of the reasons why this card is good is because a turn seven Tybalt is very powerful. And as much as I wish it cost less than seven CMC and was just maybe a five CMC Walker, that seems weirdly reasonable in this day and age and seven cmc feels like it's overcorrected for a bygone era the fact that it can both sides of the card can scale so effectively in various points of the game i think makes this card a very sleeveable it just needs to find an ideal home in every format but i i just kind of think it's going to stick around for a while because of how powerful it is and, and how it can like impact the game state against so many different opponents in so many different ways Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and of course, it's been popping up in other formats as well. You know, Canister won the Pioneer Challenge on Sunday with five-color Niv to Light with Valky in mm-hmm. it, which mm-hmm. was a wild thing to see. But, I mean, you can cheat, you can search and cheat Tybalt into play with, with Ring to Light, so that's a powerful plan to have access to. You know, and people are using it in Modern via Cascade, you know, to be able to do that. Ellie Warfield got a couple of trophies with Jund today. Just running Valky with Bloodbraid Elves. Yeah, I saw Squaw Chief streaming more of a combo type thing where it's like a lot of Cascade and Valky is one of the the big hits. And an early Valky does a lot of work for sure. You mean an early Tybalt if it's Cascaded into? Mm, either one. Oh. But I meant Tybalt. Oh. Yeah, go. I think even in modern, like a turn three Tybalt is just going to be so hard to kill for a lot of decks unless they have a dread boar i mean it's got high loyalty if you plus it you plus it it's seven so i mean here's one last thing i'll say about tybalt i got to the point where i was able to ult it and there was like no reason ever to ult it yeah you're just like i'm just gonna keep plussing it there's just no point yeah i guess like it it draws you a million cards because all those cards do go into exile and then you like presumably have additional mana to cast them but in so many games, like your cards, your graveyards run out of cards because of escape mechanics that like actually exiling graveyards doesn't seem super relevant in, in a lot of the matchups that I faced. Interesting. All right. Legit good card. I think Valky 
slash Tybalt, and it's all over the place, which explains why it is 80 tickets. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, also, can't you not buy actual packs on MTGO yet? You can only get them through drafts. So, Oh, the, is that su- what's going on? I think supply is low because it's just pre-release hmm. week. Okay, well, if that's what's going on, then watch out for that. I mean, although we still have, we do have lots of weird magic online supply issues these days. Thanks arena for that. Okay. Dave, what have you been doing? Not much. Well, being cold been doing something. Yeah, no, I, I tried out a couple of different things. So I took a different path a little bit. I decided to just try a couple of cards that really sung to me and fit into decks that I had. And so the first card that I tried last weekend was ascendant spirit. And do I have to read it? Are you going to make me read it? No, there's so much text. It's 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 the it's the blue snow figure of destiny level yes. up thing. Yes, and so you know it's a one one, and then when you put two snow into it, it becomes a two three, and then you put three snow into it, it becomes a four four with flying, and then you put uh, four snow into it, and it becomes a six six with flying and also uh, curiosity on it. And so what I did was I took Sand's suggestion from last week and I slotted it into Mono Blue Tempo on in Historic on Arena and and changed all your lands to Snowlands. Yeah, changed all my lands to Snowlands. The second game match that I played with it. So the first match <laughs> I played with it, I thought I switched it all and then I didn't. And when I I just kept drawing islands, but you know what? People killed the Ascendant Spirit every time they saw it anyway. <laughs> so did its job. Yeah, you know, did its job. Fine, killed it. Great. But the second time I did it, I, it actually worked properly, and I swapped uh, out Terramander for this card, and I would never look back, what? to be honest. What? I don't. I, I have played Mono Blue Temple plenty of times. I felt like I never activated Terramander, like, ever. That's so bananas to me. I yeah. frequently activate it. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think it was that great, so I tried that, and so I was playing it alongside the... Uh, Gosh, what's the one one fl- the one that draws a card that I'm suddenly forgetting the name of that everybody hates? The spirit? Yeah, the spirit. The spirit pirate. The pirate man. spirit. Yep. Yeah. So I have that. You got your um the counterspell one, and then this is your your other one drop. And I, I thought it was pretty good. I also was playing Cutthroat, which I know people aren't playing too much these days. And I actually thought that this paired pretty well with Cutthroat because it lets you leave have something to do with your mana at instant speed. If you want to leave mana up for either cut fro- cutthroat or to activate ascendant spirit or with a counter spell it was just lots of instant speed uses for your mana that i thought was cool and you know it's great to have a mana sink in this deck you know it's a blue mm-hmm. deck that draws cards uh being able to draw cards off of the spirit whose name i'm totally forgetting spectral spirit. special spirit special spirit special sailor special, special sailor sailor thank you yeah, yeah, yeah. it's yeah. probably special sailor Spectral Spectral Sailor is great. And then also having your other one drop be able to get bigger and become a 4-4 is helpful. Um, It's kind of interesting because, you know, this deck runs uh, Tempest Gin in the sideboard quite often. And this is sort of like a side door into Tempest Gin in some ways because you can start with this. And I mostly only got the the card to be a 4-4 flyer. Like I basically only got it to be an air elemental. I didn't really get it to the, I think I got it to the curiosity stage one time where I was drawing cards off of it too, but you're just like killing people when you're at that point. And so if you suddenly are kind of like, I'm just going to ping you down a few times with my one ones and my cutthroat got in there. And then maybe I cast a brazen borrower. And then suddenly I'm like, you know, my ascendant spirit is airborne and we're coming in for seven flying. Like usually that's enough to close it down. So The other thing is that I thought it was, um, you know, it does have problems. You know, it's not great at wearing Curious Obsession, which is a card Mm. that I think is really good for the deck because you really want to put that on a flyer. 
It's not a flyer, so it doesn't enable mana beak. And it's on a pirate, mm. so it doesn't enable pirate beak. <laughs> but I kind of felt like it made up for it. And also, it just gave you a different dimension to be able to get a bigger creature out in the main if you want it. I got to assume because it doesn't have flying or piracy that you're not casting it on turn one if you have any of the other one drops. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hold, held it back. It's it's kind of like I'm going to drop it later once I have uh, got gotten through my counter spell kind of play. Sure. So, yeah, like a spell like this lets you use mana in a long game better anyway. And like you said, like so much of this deck is holding up stuff you can flash, like whether that's mana beak or you know pirate beak or whatever, like whether whether that allows you to pretend you have interaction or have actual interaction and and a, a card like ascended spirit is something that i think you know plays nicely into the overall game plan but doesn't kind of enable a lot of what you want to be doing early necessarily yeah so it, it does have an awkward tension i'm sure that they thought about that in some ways a little bit when they were thinking about how to cost the card although of course the story of the card is just like i'm a one one i'm slightly bigger now i fly and i'm bigger and now i'm huge like so that makes sense too but um, I definitely thought that it was gave the deck a nice different dimension than what it had before. And I, I would keep playing it. Maybe I shouldn't be playing it over it over Terramander. But um, I definitely think it has a space in the deck. Yeah, seems sweet. I will say, if you play this card, don't mess up like I did with the auto tapper multiple times where I would cast Ascendant Spirit, like want to cast Ascendant Spirit with Castle Vantress. And then it would auto tap one of my islands instead so that I actually wouldn't be able to pump it because one of the other things that you can do with this is just, you know, drop it and then pump it immediately and then pump it again. But, you know, if you're running a one of non snow mana, doesn't help with that plan. I appreciate I appreciate the wisdom. Yeah, the warning. The last last thing I would say is one thing I really liked about this card on the instant side is that you can attack into smaller creatures with this card leaving up threaten like a threat of activation and then not actually activate it. It's kind of like an old limited trick if you just want to like keep your attacks going. And I, I found that to be pretty good too. The fact that you can activate it instant speed is awesome. And I feel like that's kind of the thing that maybe makes this a rare because so many other cards these days are just like, you can only do this cool thing at sorcery speed. Yeah. Um, you know, mono blue tempo is a deck that's kind of been on the fringes of historic for a very long time basically since it was a standard deck, like it was ported into historic, but I don't think it's ever really proved itself to be a tier one deck. Do you see Ascendant Spirit as, as elevating the strategy? Maybe not to tier one, but like a little bit? Uh, I think a little bit. I, de I definitely don't think I would say it's tier one. I, I would say on, on untapped, by the way, I believe that Mono Blue is like 10th on the tier list in historic. Like it's, it's not not there, but it's also like it's solidly tier two. And I think this might make it a little bit better but i don't think it's enough to push it up into where the the big decks are definitely not but i still liked it i enjoyed the like 10 or so matches i played with it i think i went six and four it wasn't i didn't have a great record or anything but I, it was a lot of fun yeah i wonder like at what point does the mono blue deck start running like supreme phantom or something else that just like synergizes with the fact that you're getting to a lot of spirits now and maybe you can actually like look into a mono blue spirits plan in addition to curious obsession and, and mana the mana leak variants yeah i think it's possible it's a pretty different card and all our deck and also i would say you you would um 
want to make sure you don't feel too bad about the fact that Brazen Borrower doesn't fit into that plan. Sure. But maybe it wouldn't matter in that build either. So, yeah. All right, Shane. Yes. We need to talk about another card. Yeah, I feel like, you know, after we hit the the, the big cards up top, we are definitely like in the stuff we wanted to test or stuff we saw other people testing and talking about. And, and this is one of those decks. And that's, that's a lot of hedging and a lot of kind of prefacing about Bergy, god of storytelling. Uh, I saw this deck tweeted out by a player who made Mythic in Historic with a, a Bergy Runaway Steamkin Experimental Frenzy deck. The user was DET Sports Fan 92. I think we know a lot about this person just by that name. Um, uh, they, they said it was a Yeoman 5 and Crokies inspired deck. If you play Magic, you probably know who those players are. Uh, he stated that he and another player uh, had an 80% win rate between them. Um, this is easily the most cohesive and powerful the archetype has felt in Historic. I'm not sure exactly what the archetype they're referring to is. I don't know if they meant like Mono Red Aggro or like a Steamkin Frenzy style deck, which that was a popular standard deck for a while. That's actually the deck that I played a ton of. Um, in when I was first getting into arena was like the steamkin frenzy style deck. So I am familiar with how these decks work and can feel, uh, but now it's ported into historic. And I was like, Hey, I like this kind of stuff. I like playing red aggressive decks that have broken end games. Potentially let's, uh, let's make this happen. And I'm not trying to, to, to bash this person's experience because it clearly is their experience, but I don't know how this happened. Because I don't feel like this deck is at a historic power level, in my opinion. Like, and and maybe you know I could be playing it wrong, but like I said, or I could have just had weird variants. But like I said, I've played a lot of this kind of deck, so I feel like I know how it works, and I feel like I know how to you know sequence things and how to make it happen. Um, and th so the way this deck works is a lot of cards you would expect, right? Like it, your early players are like your G2 Lava Runner and your Soul Scar Mage and your Shocks and your Burning Tree Emissaries and Vyoshino Pyros and Wizards Lightning, stuff like that. But this deck also wants to fuel that late game explosive power with Bergy, with Runaway Steamkin and Experimental Frenzy. And to, you know, I bury the lead a little bit here. Bergy is two and a red for a legendary god creature. She's a 3-3. Three, three. Whenever you cast a spell, add red. That sounds good. Uh, until end of turn, you don't lose this mana as steps and phases end. That's also good. You can do things a little bit more flexibly. Um, creatures you control can boast twice during each of your turns rather than once. That's kind of trinket text. Uh, she also has a flip side, because this is a legendary god. Uh, it's a Harnfell Horn of Bounty 4 in a red. Legendary Artifact, you can discard a card to exile the top two cards of your library, which you may then play uh, this turn. So once Bergy is on the battlefield, she provides sort of this redundant effect to Runaway Steamkin. And it's a little bit different, of course. Like it can be used instantly instead of having to get to three counters like on Steamkin where you sort of charge it up and then you let it all go and charge it up, let it all go. Bergy just sort of cast spell, get mana, cast spell, get mana. And then Experimental Frenzy then is your four mana enchantment that reveals the top card of your deck and allows you to hopefully hit more spells than you do lands and to just go crazy with Bergy, the lands you already have out there. Maybe you have a Steamkin out there as well to make even more mana. And 
So that all sounds really good, right? Like it was appealing to me. I was like, hey, if this works, it works. Why not Why not go crazy with Frenzy again? And the issue that I ran into was that the deck was just too slow to get going and doesn't do anything without your draw engine in place, which is your Frenzy. And this deck, they only ran three, which I think is potentially a mistake because this deck, I feel like really needs frenzy. Like even if you get a second one, who cares type thing? Like, but even with the frenzy out, you know, your turn four enchantment that potentially doesn't do anything because you used most of your mana potentially. Like maybe you generate one off a of Bergy or uh, one off of like a Steamkin or something like that. But frenzy's not a sure thing. Like you run seventeen regular old lands in this deck and. For Shatter Skull Smashing, which then allows you to cast it as a spell, which I do like. Like, if you hit that off a Frenzy, you're like, well, this isn't necessarily a land. I can cast this as a spell to keep my chain going. But it's pretty normal to get a second land early with your Frenzy. It just stops you from going off. And so even if you have all these pieces in place, you're like, well, I'm still at the... the, I have the chance of just bricking. And sometimes what you're getting is not even that great, right? Like you, maybe, maybe you fill the board with like three creatures and you like, you get a couple spells off, but like, it was like, there's some, some things I would do differently in this deck might be like, can I fit lightning strike in here? Like, I just want more ability to dome my opponent late game. Um, maybe I want fewer burning tree emissaries because they're not really that great a hit in my, in my uh, chain in, off the frenzy. Like maybe I'd want, like, you know, like I said, maybe that's where you fit in those lightning strikes is take out the burning tree emissaries. But, you know, because it's not an Embercleave deck, I don't need to be going wide. Maybe it should be an Embercleave deck. I mean, it's a red deck. Exactly. <laughs> why? Why not? It's a red deck with creatures. Um, I don't know. Like, it's it's the kind of thing where, like, maybe it's tweakable, um, but I never felt like I was in the games as well as I could just be with, like, an aggressive attacking red deck with like Torbrin and or Anax and or Ember Cleave. And it's like, well, what am, why am I doing this? Like if, even if I get these pieces in play, like, is this worth putting those pieces together when I could just be beating you down and burning you out and casting Ember Cleave? Always the question that Shane has. Should why I, I do this, this if I can just win? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why? I mean, it's, it's, it would be more fun if like I won more. Like, I mean, that's everyone's, right? It, that's just like, and it's the kind of thing, like I said, like I liked playing Frenzy decks. I thought Frenzy was really cool when it worked, especially like, you know, it, it just had turns where people were like, oh, you're doing it. I'm conceding. And this deck can have those. But at that point, it's like, well, I might be dead in historic. It's a faster format. There's more removal. There's better removal. There's more sweepers. It's a different environment than the standard world where Frenzy decks could be legitimately tier one. Totally agree with you in terms of like what happened to frenzy decks in the course of historic's history and i think a big turning point was jumpstart and in some of the sets that came out immediately after jumpstart when this type of card experimental frenzy and, and like by virtue verky or burgy which generates a ton of value from you just casting spells like it stopped winning games because the format has so many other single cards that win games on the spot like Emperor Cleave or like a certain big beater or Nissa, etc. Or or Muxus, I think was like maybe the first turning point. So I'm not surprised that like extra copies of Experimental Frenzy don't 
do the thing because experimental frenzy i don't think keeps up with the power level of this format anymore yeah like whenever i play a red deck without ember cleave and sometimes even with ember cleave it's like uh love strike beast wins oh, game's over yeah exactly like, pretty like pretty much legitimately game over unless unless you have like a bunch of burn at that point right yeah it's it's so it's there's there's so many efficient cards like in the you know the eldraine on era where it's like well um my small red creatures aren't getting enough in because you're setting up a wall so early or you're gaining life so efficiently and that's the kind of thing that a card like ember cleave or annex or torbrin allows you to do is like i'm turning the corner hard on turn four or something like that and this deck turns a corner that's maybe more like 45 degrees on turn five or six and it's like well that's not enough <laughs> interesting do you think that maybe the deck you put it in was just too fair i mean it's it's not trying to be fair but like it's it does look like two different decks sort of mushed together right where it's like but like what is a red deck doing if it's not playing those one drops and so i don't know like this this player and another player they mentioned they they claim they had a very high win rate i don't see why they'd lie about it uh i'm i'm sure that it's something that has some kind of potential and it's a deck that if you like red decks that go off with frenzy like go for it it's just not the red deck for me in historic yeah i mean i think it's worth mentioning that you know when ever was on a couple of weeks ago we kind of all came to the consensus that Burgie is probably more broken in older formats or has the potential to be more broken in older formats. And that might just be partially true too, because we are definitely seeing uh, her appear in modern uh, here and there in particular in a kind of Sramos-esque kind of list where she's part of the storm component of that. That makes total sense. Using that um, one mana blue spell from Mirrodin that returns artifacts to your hand that I am totally forgetting the name of right now, but it's a, uh, it's a pretty powerful card. That's always on the fringes of modern to be in decks like this. And it's kind of reemerged here. And also I've seen people like Caleb Shearer and X whale, Will Kruger online talking about playing a mono red version of storm with, with Birgie in it as well. And so I think there's some possibilities there that, you know, with, things like rituals and things like cantrips and metamorphose and stuff like that, that you might be better. She's just better off in formats like that than she is in yeah. formats that don't have those cards. Yeah. Like you said, Stan, like this is a, this is a, a fair red deck, right? Because you're not, you're not playing Ember cleave. You're not, you know, you're not doubling up your mana with wilderness wreck or, or more. You're barely this playing is, burn spells. You're just trying to like chain yeah. creatures. Yeah, like like your end game is oh, I played two Soulscar Mage and a Gitu Lava Runner and maybe a Viashino Pyromancer, and I have to untap yeah, and, and then and, I got and, wrathed. Yeah, yeah, or or you or you attacked into me with your Embercleave creature and I was dead. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's not enough. All right, so the last couple of cards I want to talk about really quickly is I decided to try a couple of fly flyers, as we used to call them in fantasy sports, random cards that I thought could be interesting in Rakdos Sacrifice. So now we're just in grab bag territory. Huh? I mean, we already were in grab bag territory with with Ascendant <laughs> Spirit. Birgi, I guess, was borderline, but this is this is like grab baggy and just stuff I was playing around with. So I'll, I'll talk about a few cards that i had that are grab bag overall rack sack and also blue-eyed auras i'll talk about auras first so i tried spectral steel in blue-eyed auras as a one of 
just for fun. Okay, so Spectral Steel is a one and a white that gives plus two, plus two, and then also lets you exile it to return an aura in your graveyard to your hand. I am checking the exact language on that, which should tell you everything you need to know about how often I use the activated ability on this, which was never. So I don't think this card is good enough to make it in Auras, I guess is the way that I would would put that, because uh, it's just too slow and it doesn't do enough on its own. Like just giving a creature a buff with no other benefit, like draw a card or flying or, um, you know, really anything else like they draw the curiosity ability. It's it's not enough to to make it make the cut in auras, even with the promise of trying to recycle something occasionally. It just didn't really feel like it was going to get there for me, even as a one of. I felt like I wish I had something else. Any thoughts? Nobody, nobody else here plays auras. So pass. No, every time I do play auras, though, it's like, <clears throat> how can I possibly keep up with this deck? Unless I have interaction like auras against me when I'm playing like green ramp is just like, holy moly. Do you always have turn two? Uh, whatever that thing is, draws cards. Yeah, do, yeah. Do you have your two drop? Do you have a core spirit dancer? Yeah, core spirit dancer. So good. Yeah, I. Yeah. Anyway, so that that's where I was with that. There wasn't anything else that fit in that deck to to my mind, but I'll be keeping an eye out. And then, like I said, I tried some stuff in Racksack, and the two cards I tried in Racksack were Rise of the Dread Marn is the one I'll talk about first. And Rise of the Dread Marn is uh, two and a black for an instant. That says create X two two black zombie berserker creature tokens where X is the number of non-token creatures that died this turn and it has foretell black. So you can my, my idea here was I could try to protect myself a little bit from sweepers ish, but also try to double up onto a big turn where if I killed some of their creatures and sacrifice some of my creatures like sacrifice the cat a bunch of times. I could occasionally get a bunch of tokens off of that. So if I'm pinging them and killing my guys, maybe I get a chance to get even more. And then I could do like a big sacrifice turn from there. Here's what I can say about that. It was not good. (laughs) It was pretty inefficient in the, um, in the engine that's already super efficient and just felt like there wasn't really space to make it work. Here's a question though, Dave, did you try foretelling it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you do want to play two drops in this deck whenever you can, or maybe, you know, a one drop and and something else, you know, two, or two one drops, I guess I would say. Like, you want to drop your supplier and a oven or whatever a lot of times on turn two. But I definitely, the games where I got to use it and activate it, I did foretell it and that mostly foretell it and then play it for a single black, which which helps. Um, but the I never really, it, I never really went off the way that I thought I would potentially with this mm-hmm. so i think the best i did was i made three tokens one time where like i killed one i mean my big my like big brain play with this honestly was to foretell this at some point and then get into a situation where i was like well i'm gonna have um priest of the forgotten gods out there that i'm gonna kill two of my creatures and i'm gonna have them sacrifice one of their creatures and then using the mana off of priest of the forgotten gods i'm gonna cast Rise of the Dreadmarn and get three creatures back so that next turn I'm ready to just tap my Priest of the Forgotten Gods again. Uh, not quite. Really? Even then? Yeah. Sad. But but maybe maybe that'll work out sometime in the future for somebody else and I will be wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. Yeah. I mean, I'm <laughs> wrong all the time. And then the second card that I tried out in this was Immersturm Predator, which we talked about a lot. 
so much so that I remember it's card text by heart. And so I'm going to read it to you while I get my brain fired up. So Emerson Predator is a 3-3 flyer for two color lists, a black and a red. And it says, whenever Immerstrom Predator becomes tapped, exile up to one target card from a graveyard and put a plus one, plus one counter on Immerstrom Predator. So it gets bigger. You can get rid of any card from a graveyard to do this. And then it also says, sacrifice a creature. Immerstrom Predator gains indestructible until end of turn. Tap it. You guys love this card now? You've seen it everywhere. You've played against a bunch. I mean, it seems like a good value. It seems like just a perfectly good creature, right? Yeah. Does it? yeah, I, I actually felt like this was okay in the deck. So I ended up swapping out a couple of Scrap Heaps Grounders for it. Like I talked about in the spoiler episode, I threw, threw two into my deck. I played around with it a little bit. The games where I got this card out, people had to kill it because a lot of times I had them under some pressure and then me dropping a potentially, you know, four, four, five, five ish flyer was pretty tough for them to deal with. Now, you know, there's so many other ways to kill something other than destroying it. You know, there's bouncing it. There's, there's, you know, exiling it through various ways that it definitely was not quite as reliable as a closer that I felt like, but it definitely drew attention really fast in the games where I, I did get it out. And so I thought it was fine. I think that in a deck that, like I said, sometimes deal has problems with ground stalls. It's a good card to have around. I'm not sure if it's something you'd really want in your main deck or if you would ever consider trying a sideboard. It's not really a sideboard card, but it might be kind of like depending on meta, you might want a big beefy flyer to end the game. You could try it. Um, but I thought it was okay in the deck. Not a definite no and not a definite yes, unfortunately. Definitely less of a fit and felt like it improved the deck less than Ascendant Spirit did for Mono Blue Tempo by way of like comparison. Interesting. Yeah. How likely are you to keep testing this in, in sack though? I think I would play another 10 matches with it. I don't think I would. I'm not like racing to pull it back out like I am with Rise of the Dread Marm, where I was just like, I played it, like I said, for around five, 10 matches and was like, no, 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 no. I never want to draw this card. Like Emerson Predator is for four is fine, you know, to be able to throw out there. So I'm still, I'm still looking at it. Still possible. I just don't know if the deck needs something that introduces a hedge into its engine. You know, like a lot of the best decks in historic, like Shane said, they're pretty linear on the plans that they have. And this gives you an out, but it's like, do I really need it? Should I just concentrate on plan A and not worry about a plan B? Uh, I don't know. I, I do think you buried the lead a tiny little bit in your rack sack discussion, which is one more new card you played. And perhaps one of my absolute favorite cards from Kaldheim, which is the Blightstep pathway. Yeah, we should talk about the pathways for just a quick second, right? Because that was definitely the best card I put into this deck. And it was probably the best card. I mean, clearly Spectral Steel wasn't good, but I put blue-white pathways into auras, and that was really good too. Mm -hmm. I I think I I felt the impact of the pathways like as much as any other card, permanent card in Historic specifically. Yeah. Just because like everyone's mana is so smooth now. I do think it's a little weird. So let me, there is a fundamental tension here for me. And that is that I really think that like Dragon Skull Summit and Glacial Fortress are really good in historic. I know that some people hate those. And when you get a double, like double Dragon Skull Summit opener, like that really sucks. Or when you yes. get the the one that's like, um, you know, when you get those awkward hands that are like that, it's really bad. 
but they're often they often come into play just untapped and so it's more cards in your deck that don't allow those cards to come into play untapped so i think you have to balance it a little bit i'm not like an expert at building mana bases by any by any stretch but i worry a little bit about like shoving four pathways in right away without thinking about what they're replacing i mean i i do think they're replacing the checklands really some number okay yeah I, I think it's oh yeah more prudent to go down to like two um check lands so like two check lands and four pathways exactly because yeah because the pathways always come in on tap there, there's no world where they don't i mean it depends on the deck you're playing too and the mana requirements like gruel almost never runs the the check land at all it just runs the pathways right right and so I have played decks or I've seen decks like a deck I didn't talk about at all was like a, a aggro Rakdos shell that I found early on as well. And they had pathways and still dragon skull summit. Right. And maybe they were just like, I want to have access to as many duels as I can. And they don't play super well together. Like if you're taking out basics for pathways, then your checks are much worse. And I'm curious how long people are going to hold on to playing checks when they have access to pathways. And I, I'm, I'm not sure it's kind of like just sort of legacy deck building thinking where it's like, I've played this card for so long. I think I still need to, and I'm not sure that you do. It really depends on your mana requirements and how, how early your double pips are or how many gold cards you have at the two drop slot. And, you know, gruel can get away with it because it has, um, burning tree emissary to turn double into like a one of these gruel mana. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough, right? I mean, it obviously would be a totally different picture if the Shocklands didn't enable the the Checklands to come into play untapped. Mm-hmm. But since you got to play the Shocklands so that they can come in untapped if you want, then, I, yeah, I just feel like it's tough to kind of like turn away from those because I've loved Glacial Fortress and Blue-Eye Auras so much, but uh, maybe it is time to to walk away from it a little bit. But anyway, the pathways, especially these particular pathways, I think made a huge difference for Historic. No doubt. I mean, I I have nothing to say except people keep sending me green-black elf decks, and one of these days I'm going to do it. And the only reason I haven't crafted it is because it would would literally wipe out all of my gold wilds. So it's like either I commit to one deck or I can tinker with several other decks, and I just feel like it's I should hold off on elves, elves for a little longer. Yeah, I've definitely heard some rumblings. I would not be surprised if that's a deck that in a week or two we are testing and, you know, a sleeve leave heave or something like that. Dibs? Can I call if we have to craft it, can I get dibs on crafting privileges? It still is a bummer to me that these cards aren't good enough to make an impact in modern. Like they're just not. And that's too bad because they're cool. So speaking of arena experiences. I think we we actually have time for the wind down this week. Let's 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 head on into it. I think uh, Dave, you had a great idea for this week, and uh, talk about some arena experiences from January of 2021. So stay with us. Guys, I'm so excited. We haven't done a wind down in so long. I almost forgot that this section exists. I have all these hats that just say the wind down on them and no one wants them. I should have gotten dive down hats instead. I told you not to spend the money on that, but you just would not believe me. <laughs> I just love holding on to inventory. Remember when we needed to like sort of pad our episodes with like, hey, like how y'all doing right. type content. And then now we just write too many notes 
and talk for too long. But anyway, like uh, Dave, I thought you had a great idea for the the wind down this week, and let's let's talk about our, our experiences last season, January twenty twenty one. I think that as we've been playing a lot, I think we've become more serious. We've been talking to our, our patrons and the Slack a lot about how, how everyone else is doing there. It's kind of encouraging us, I think, to to grind a little bit and see how well we can perform. And I think this is excellent timing for this type of level setting conversation because two things happened over the weekend. New set came out, which rotated the mastery pass and also the monthly rotation of your rank, your limited and constructed rank rotated. So we had kind of like the perfect equinox of technology-based rotations that mean a lot emotionally, but nothing physically. Can I tell you, I just gotta say, I love, I love the mastery pass. It's just like all these rewards coming in all the time. And like, if you play as much as we do, um, you know, you get your day, you get most of your dailies, you get your weeklies, you're going to advance that thing well enough along to get that gem value back. I think it's, it's definitely a lot of digital carrots for me, pulling me along, making me play. I know what you mean. It's, it's kind of like GameStock stock, (laughs) GameStock, like it's games, (laughs) game stonks. It's it's like, it's like MTG stonks because it pays in dividends the longer you hold it yes exactly yeah get in early get in the first of the first of the set first day actually doesn't matter because you get whatever you know yeah some people some people save they're like i'm gonna open this all at once that's what i've been doing and i i have to hold on to that i think nah (laughs) okay all right so how did how did it go this month so last month just as a reminder i made mythic stan made mythic Right. Did both of y'all make mythic? No, no. I finished in December, right? I made mythic in December. I yeah, finished and me too. diamond in January. Right. Well, I was trying to I was trying to do a setup there. So Yeah, the setup was that both of y'all killed it in, in December. December. And Shane was made it to Diamond in December. No, I, no, December, December I made high plat. I didn't even I did not even make did not even make diamond. And so when you take a look at your January, what what does it look like? January was sick. Like I didn't. Pl- I played a lot less ladder than I thought in January, and that's probably because I started in gold four and did like this quick run to diamond. I went twenty one and seven in best of three for the cool, cool seventy five percent win percentage with two different builds of gruel aggro. Like I finished off my run to diamond with a six zero. Like Dave was co piloting with me for mm-hmm. most of that. That was fun. And then and then like for the rest of the month, I was kind of just messing around. Like I didn't focus on laddering. Uh, like I like to focus when I play ladder. Like I'm gonna sit down for like two hours or so, and like I'm gonna I'm not gonna play on my phone. Like one way I play a lot of arena is I Steam cast the app to my phone, and I play in bed like before I fall asleep. And like I don't want to do anything serious there for whatever reason. Like I just want to like play best of one and get my dailies out of the way. And you know I played I played 91 matches of best of one with my Gruel deck in just normal old play mode. Wow. Right? Like, so I played a lot more. I had a 60% win right there, by the way. Um, but that's where you play like weird random stuff, like people getting their dailies out of the way. But yeah, like I wanted to hit Mythic, but I was play I was playing some other games. I got a PS5. I was playing some other games there. I wasn't really grinding. Uh, when Kaldheim came out, though, on last Thursday, I, I used being in Diamond 4 to like just test decks like that I talked about this episode, like that was a lot of fun. Like I had no ladder anxiety. It's like, I'm already in diamond four. I can't go down. Let's play against other legitimate decks with like this new Rakdos deck or this green walkers deck or something like that. So, um, how do you all do in your, in your ladder experience? 
So I had kind of a little bit of like return, return to earth sort of. So maybe you remember that in the previous set. So my combined win rate in all of battle for Zendikar was 72%. And before January, my win rate, I think was in the low eighties overall with all decks. And uh, boy, that did not go that way for in this in January. In January, my combined was 58% win rate. I went 31 and 22. I made it to Diamond 3. But what happened was I made Diamond. So I didn't really play the first couple of weeks or so while we were doing spoiler episodes and after Christmas and stuff like that. But still, in the first like 15 matches I did in January from Platinum to Diamond, I went 14 and 2 with blue white auras. So to get into Diamond, I went on a 14 and two run. And then as soon as I hit diamond, it was just like, and I just went up and down between diamond four and diamond three across a few different decks. Uh, I, I also, when I hit diamond, I started playing testing a little bit just because I wanted to check out some other decks. So I tried black, white auras did terrible with that. I went one and four or one and seven with that deck. So I had a terrible win rate with that overall. I uh, tried to go back to auras and started going 50, 50 with that. Then I started playing uh, Rack Sack and did terrible with that. And finally, the deck that I had the best win rate w- rate with, uh, other than Auras, was Mono Blue Tempo, where mm-hmm. I went five and four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not yeah. not a great January, at least the second half when I was actually trying to go from Diamond to Mythic. I mean, you experienced the reality of High Ladder, which is like you're going to maybe be fifty five to sixty percent, and you're going to play like a hundred to one hundred and twenty five you know, best of three matches or best of, or games, at least I forget what the, the Karsten math was to, to make mythic. It's hard. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah. It was too bad. I, I, I definitely felt the difference. Like it suddenly felt like towards the last half of the, the latter half of the month, like auras was just not like knocking wins out of people anymore. And I don't really know if that, if anything changed in particular there, like my matchups didn't get weird or anything. So tough to say, but I definitely, I, I really wanted to try to make mythic again and I did not. So Stan, how about you? I almost made mythic. <laughs> I, I, I really did. I, I had some sweet momentum. I got to D one and then I just hit like this horrendous rough patch where I just couldn't win a game. And I fell back to diamond four from diamond one. And at that point I was like, it's not worth the anxiety to like, chase that carrot yeah ladder anxiety is real very real um and basically just to manage my emotional state that's when i started doing a lot of events and being a little bit more experimental with different cards like slapping decks together with my arena collection because it's such a safe place to brew and the events are such a low stake place to test ideas that i i kind of think that's a really good practice in general like if you've if you've reached a certain goal in arena in ladder events are a great way to generate a collection and potentially generate gold which you can then use for like limited which and the reason i bring up limited is because if i'm going to set a goal for myself for this month i want to draft more because wow people keep talking about how one of the ways to game the arena economy is being good at limited and there's so much good limited content out there I can listen to some podcasts and maybe I can like yeah. generate some gems and packs and like get my Vorinclexes and my elves that way. 
Yeah, it never hurts to play more magic. <laughs> That's for sure. I just never have anything to do with my gold. I mean, can't, I thought you can buy you can buy new events, buy buy packs, buy buy cosmetics of decks you like. That's oh, what I do. Don't buy I cosmetics. Love cosmetics. No, cosmetics rule. If you like how your deck looks, you're going to have more fun. Shane, you're not wrong. My is it aggro deck is mostly like full arted out and it's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah, um uh I only have stomping ground left in my gruel aggro deck and like a few cyborg cards and I love it. Totally worth it. But um what, let's talk about quickly. Let's talk about do you, have, do you have any goals? Like do you have any concrete goals? Maybe not necessary where you ed- end up on the ladder about I mean we're in a we're in a new set, gentlemen. Yes. We have new cards to experience. Um I think I I want to play I want to, I think I'm going to make diamond again and play a bunch of weird stuff again, depending on what we're testing for the episodes. But I think that it, it pays to be experimental early on potentially. Uh, and I don't just want to be playing gruel for another hundred matches. You know what I mean? Like we're in a new set. Let's play something new. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm definitely looking for something different to play, which is why I've been keeping an eye on the mono green deck. You know, I would probably. Maybe I'll try some mono green planeswalkers a little bit. Maybe I'll keep trying to play some blue tempo and see if it actually turns into something that actually has a winning record. Um, I don't know. I'm really keeping an eye on what the next thing could be. Cause as much as I love playing auras, it's definitely getting a little stale and it feels like people are very ready for it right now. So, and I guess the other thing is, you know, I'm looking at this, I played uh, 53 matches last month. I really should probably get up closer to a hundred uh, for a month. But I'm not sure what the kind of like a good number to be at is. A million? A million. All right, I'm going to shoot for a million matches in February. I like it. You know, let's, So we played a lot of Historic. Quick, I, I think Historic's in a solid place. That's how I feel about my, my experience in January. I thought Historic still feels fun to me. Like when people, I do see some occasional complaints about Historic. I think there's a lot of decks with like similar power levels. I think nothing's feeling too above and beyond. I think nothing's feeling particularly broken that doesn't have things that can hurt it. I like the gameplay in a lot of my games. I feel like I'm making decisions often that matter, you know, and I think that's good. I think that it's a, it's still a format I'm enjoying playing a lot and looking at how streamers are playing modern right now. doesn't make me really want to go back there until that's figured out. Dave, do you think you like historic the same? More or less than Shane? Uh, I think I like it less than Shane, but not in a bad way. I think it just because I like modern more than Shane right now. I, I, yeah, I, I think that's how I feel. And I'm not trying to be like Dave, even though I do. And I am. Who doesn't want to be Dave? Who doesn't want to be Dave? Look yeah. at how cool this guy is. Look at this. I always just wish modern was an arena. I will tell you, I, I'm so with you on what you said a couple of episodes ago where you were like, I love being able to just play on Arena because that is a big part of it. It's like it runs really well on my com- computer, yes. honestly. And like, I don't, you know, Magic Online doesn't. <laughs> and so there is a little bit of friction there. You just need to uninstall Magic Online and reinstall it. And you will be amazed at how much better it runs from that act. Really? Maybe I should try. I mean, I I literally just did a new install of a virtual PC on my Mac because that's oh. that's how I play it oh. and, and have for years. And yeah. it really it got better for like a week and then it was like bad again. I was having MTGO problems and then I did an uninstall and reinstall and it was night and day. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all good on my desktop, but like I also don't like to be isolated from my my wife for like four hours at a time. Set up remote desktop on your laptop to my desktop to your desktop yeah yes okay now yes. we're talking yeah. 
Okay, Done. this is the IT quarter. <laughs> yeah. The compute down. So that's our that's going to be our next bonus episode, right? Is the IT IT suggestions from Shane? Yeah, yeah. How to how to get Arena on your phone without installing the uh, the Android app? The the wine. which we didn't talk about, which is adequate. Um, oh yeah, and yeah, you've been playing the Android app, right? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I, I, it doesn't track my untapped stuff, which is just like I, I love data. Stan, take us out. I'm going to keep talking about technology. Well, I want a a double wind down where we just talk about cable management. Is this uh, Battle Stations on Reddit? Shane has a lot of good YouTube videos about cable management. You guys seen any of his Twitch VODs where he's like just coiling cable and uncoiling it again? All right, that's enough zip tie talk for one Monday. This does wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave us a rating and review. Also, we record on... Monday nights, and when we record, we do stream ourselves over at twitch.tv slash the dive down underscore Shane. Come hang out. We're not great at managing chat, but that's because we're too busy recording this show for you. But we keep an eye on the chat, and sometimes I drop in Pokemon emojis. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast any other day of the week, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, or email the dive down at gmail.com. You can support the show via our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. You can also support our show via Mana Traders. If you use coupon code the dive down, you'll get 15% off your first three months of a Magic Online rental subscription. We use it, we love it, and we think you'll like it too. Also, if you're just a Magic Arena player, you can download the untapped tracking software over at untapped.thedivedown.com. We get a little kickback from that as well. And you don't have to spend any money. You just get more data about your arena play. Ladder play, basically. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and try new cars.